All right, there's one more presentation I want to give tonight. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Got you know a lot of hopefully meaty information for you tonight. This is called Through the Looking Glass and the Singularity They Found There. Now, I was inspired to write this. This is a part of my Mandela Effect paper, uh, just because so many of you have been asking me about Project Looking Glass. And, you know, I, I, we've been talking about time travel for the last two weeks. And so I, you know, I dug in and I, um, here's my report for you guys. Hopefully I will get an A on this. Hopefully I will pass the homework assignment on Project Looking Glass. There is bad news, and then there is good news. Believe it or not, I have just given them to you, and it's in the title. After everything that has already been spoken in this paper regarding time travel, that would be the Mandela Effect paper, particularly the manipulation of time, I was asked by my readers to address, address Project Looking Glass and then give my opinion on it. Very well, then. Here is my report. The bad news is that Project Looking Glass appears to be a very real government program in which the elites are manipulating time in such a way that the events therein bend a knee in their favor. I will give more details on what it all entails in a moment. Because the good news is that what they ultimately found, or is what they ultimately found on the other side, a singularity event. It just goes to show that no matter how much they tamper with string theory, all possible outcomes in every conceivable multiverse leads to one solitary event. Hmm. I wonder what that is. What we have before us is the story of free will versus predestination. And here is the ending. You may be able to make your own decisions in the day-to-day -day now. Or can you? But ultimately, everyone will stand in the same courtroom before the same judge. Now, Project Looking Glass is an obvious reference to Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There, the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Interestingly enough, the original title to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was Alice's Adventures Underground. Like the CIA's MKUltra program, Steeped in Babylonian magic as well as Egypt's Book of the Dead, Intel communities love Wonderland imagery and for good reason. Alice Liddell, whom the character of Alice was based upon, was related to Samuel Liddell Mathers, one of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn's three co-founders, believe it or not. The other two were William Robert uh, Woodman and William Wynne Westcott, all Freemasons, all three of them. That much is a given since Golden Dawn was a Masonic organization closely aligned with Helena Blavatsky and Theosophy. Other prominent members of the Golden Dawn include Bram Stoker and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, he comes up, all these people come up in this research often. Though the big one is none other than Mr. 666, Aleister Crowley, The Beast, and that's no coincidence. In truly, in true Crowley-esque magic, Alice is capable of creating a world in which everything is backwards. The Beatles would later perfect the process by way of backmasking. Meanwhile, in the, the mirror world, there are no straight logical paths as we know them by way of deductive reasoning. 
events happen backwards or in reverse order. Rather than there being a cause and effect, the outcome happens first and then the cause of it. We have already been there and done that with CERN's part in the time travel narrative and something called retrocausality. We think of our timeline as linear when in all likelihood, this current short season of deception may be a mirror world created by wizards. And of course, it needs to be said. Aside from Carol's inquisitive collection of pedophilic photographs, it has been well noted that later in life, Alice Liddell exhibited the recognizable traits of someone who had been handled in her youth, sadly enough, perhaps ceremoniously and as an early prototype to the monarch butterfly system. You might even say she quite literally took a tumble down the rabbit hole as becoming detached from her conscious self is concerned. Which, of course, that's what the, the metaphor is of down the rabbit hole. So we, we talk about that a lot in the truther community. Like, we go down the rabbit hole. Actually, it's a terrible metaphor because we're actually saying that we, are, we have gone through the process of being detached from ourselves. You know, our, our true self is up there and our conscious is down there. That's not a good analogy. The mirror as a source of magic and manipulation is a constant theme throughout mythology as well. Vulcan... Or like the like Spock from Vulcan and Star Trek. Vulcan was the Roman Elohim of fire, which included his qualifications as the master metalworker. As a side project, Vulcan forged a magic mirror which allowed him to gaze beyond the dimension of time into the future and the past. He then gifted it to Venus, big mistake. He gave it to the hussy. In turn, the Elohim of love cheated on Vulcan and with Mars. Boo. Using the mirror to calculate her means of not getting caught. We are constantly reminded that these are just mythological stories, but you and I know better. More than likely, the Romans possessed a similar device which allowed them to survey the best possible outcome for the empire's rise and expansion, as well as its health and longevity. Or they, or they knew of past civilizations, such as as an Atlantean one, which did. Perhaps one thing they all held in common, aside from a plethora of possibilities, was an inevitable singularity event. What I'm saying here is that it is quite possible that the Romans, according to their own mythology, uh, had a technology like this, where they could uh, look into some sort of mirror, a uh, looking glass, and they could see all the possible outcomes, how they could use it to their benefit, but maybe it all led to a singularity event they couldn't escape. Rome would be destroyed one day. They couldn't escape that, no matter how much they tried. And that's the good news. Really, the scrying mirror can notably be found in nearly all cultures throughout history. Merlin was said to have uh, one such mirror, purpose with keeping Camelot on track, and John Dee, the original 007, which I mention every so often, communicated with angels through an obsidian stone of his own. And I, I've said this before, I, I've been able to see that obsidian stone in Oxford. You can go see it for yourself. An Elohim of the Aztecs, his name was Tezcatlipoca, whatever, the big T, I, I don't know how to pronounce that, was known as the Lord of the Smoking Mirror because of the polished obsidian through which he communicated. With Snow White, uh, this is one of the Mandela effects we talked about. The Brothers Grimm had their own, own magic mirror story to tell. 
I'll undoubtedly return to it at another hour because the Walt Disney version has become another mugging victim of the Mandela effect. The interesting turn of events in their Germanic fairy tale is not so far removed from your cautionary stage play, typical of Greek or Roman mythology. We are introduced to a ruling sorceress who is nearly always ahead of the game because of her secret antiquitech device, which is hung upon the wall. You know, of course, run by by spirits of all things, too, which, you know, is probably how much of modern tech is as well. Her eventual destruction has little to do with her mastery over the craft when, in fact, she has become too greedy and we might add a little too clever for her own good. It is only in her obsession to eliminate Snow White, a young woman whom nobody seems to know about, which ultimately brings about her demise thereby elevating the king's daughter to her kingdom. What sort of demographic do you suppose a story such as this one is aiming at? Greek and Roman mythology, and Homer in particular, were studied like the Bible among mystery school neophytes so as to teach them about the perils of discovering the God within. It seems to me that the occult is attempting to warn their own ranks regarding the dangers of greed and gluttony this time around in the Snow White story. Have your mirror and use it to your advantage, but not if unbridled passion should target restraint. And I'll again remind you that the only reason she ended up dying, the Wicked Queen, is because she became so obsessed with playing this game, you know, because she had this heads up, this advantage, and it brought about her demise. J.R.R. Tolkien presented us with another scrying mirror in The Fellowship of the Ring. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Galadriel employed a silver basin filled with water, which could show a person things that were and things that are and some things that yet may be. But which it is that he sees, even the wisest cannot tell. The defining difference between Galadriel and the Wicked Queen of Snow White is that the ring-bearer of Middle-earth foresaw what would happen to her if she took the one ring upon herself, which Frodo happened to be carrying. She would become a great dark, dark lord, presumably a mistress of Sauron. Galadriel was capable of defeating her temptation for greater power and was rewarded for it in the end. She got to go to the hidden wilderness. The same cannot be said of the ruling elite in the world we inhabit. Now, to the best of my knowledge, a grand total of three separate whistleblowers have come forward over the, the last 30 or so years concerning Project Looking Glass, though I tend to lean towards the possibility that they were released by our controllers to make the information known, meaning they were purposeful plants. The, the first is Bob Laser. I am including a picture of Laser from a more recent appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast. It was in 1989, however, that he initially hinted at what they were cooking up at Groom Lake in Nevada. According to Laser, he was hired in the 1980s to reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology. By the time we get to our third and final whistleblower, you'll see why it was actually Anunnaki technology. But let's just run with it for the moment. Uh, the work supposedly occurred at a secret underground base called S4, a subsidiary installation allegedly located several kilometers south of Area 51. 
When asked to describe Project Looking Glass, this is how he did, that is how he described it. Project Looking Glass dealt with the distortion, the fact that there is a time distortion, essentially looking back in time. And by that, I do not mean looking back years ago to see the wagon train days. They're looking for distortion that are milliseconds in time. And what that, what that was used for, I don't know. But that was just observing the time distortion, time dilation phenomena, the craft and operation. Uh, essentially, he knew very little, Bob Laser. That is all he initially offered on the project, which is to say we are given very little to work with. It should be noted that Bob Laser was not a part of Looking Glass and therefore knew very little about it. He further explained that he had simply skimmed through a file on the project while employed at S4, small briefings really, and was attempting to convey his understanding of it. A far better summing up of the project was later given to Joe uh, Rogan in which he stated the following. Project Looking Glass had to do with time, any effects of time in the craft. Now, I don't think, we're not talking about making a time machine like in science fiction, but we're talking about small distortions, intentional distortions of time, and how that can be used as, not as a, well, it was part of a weapon probably, end quote. I particularly like the part where Laser revises his description of the top secret operation halfway through a statement. It happens all the time, and I even do it sometimes. He had started to describe looking glasses something other than a weapon, but then course-corrected his own understanding of what's going on because at the end of the day, it is very much a loaded gun when the with the smoking barrel pointed directly at us. Now, that is about all we are given from Bob Laser, though. So next witness. I wish I could find a better screenshot of Dan Birish, but this guy apparently has a penchant for old camcorders and low lighting. Well, there he is, Dan Birish, our second whistleblower. Birish took Project Looking Glass a step further and described the time manipulation tech as originating from ancient cylinder seals, which needed reconstructed in our modern day. The recording I am referring to comes to us by way of interviewer Carrie Cassidy of Project Camelot. She's devoted a lot of time to this. And here is what he has to say about uh, to her about it. Originally, it was a series of instructions for accessing the wormholes, which naturally pass in the hyperspace, which we find ourselves. And from there, they worked on the technology. They built the equipment from the instructions. After building the equipment from the instructions, they began to tweak it and find different things out about it. One of the things that they found is that they could actually use it as a peering portal, like a peering glass, if you will, reminds us of Snow White, to see different aspects of not only the future, but the past. When asked by Cassidy if the cylinder seals were of Sumerian origin, uh, Birish replied, I would say that they slightly predate Sumerian time frame, but that some of the information which came down from cylinder seals that slightly predated the Sumerian time frame were then recopied in Sumerian seals as well. And those cylinder seals, to the best of my knowledge, have all been obtained. Some of them from Iraq. Some of them from Egypt. Some of them from other countries where they were being stored. And this is literally like the... the uh, the plot line to uh, Stargate, if you ever watched that. It's pretty much the same thing. Birish often described the looking glass tech as a Stargate 
and a portal, though he doesn't do so in the provided quote, but he regularly refers to it as a stargate. And anyways, the right, uh, that right there is our Anun- Anunnaki connection. Bob Laser may have spoken about aliens, but Birish had the insight to assign ancient aliens as agents. The ancient alien discussion is practically a literary genre by this point. Though, as my reader already knows by now, our attention is ultimately directed to the Watchers episode in the Book of Enoch. For those of you still needing caught up to speed, the Anunnaki Watchers arrive from the starry realm to rule over a pre-Diluvian humanity, bringing with them the mysteries of heaven. Well, the magic mirror appears to be one of them. All the New World Order had to do was assemble these cylinder seals uh, held in various regions of Mesopotamia, probably under the direction of the same Anunnaki, who have finally been released from their underground prison in this short season. The third and final whistleblower is somebody named Bill Wood. This guy is really interesting. He is shown here being once again interviewed by Kerry Cassidy of Project Camelot. Slightly better lighting this time around, but we can do better. Among his talking points in all of this was the 9-11 false flag attack, specifically that a Tomahawk missile was used on the Pentagon, and he would know something about that, wouldn't he? Bill Wood was in the U.S. Navy from June of 1991 until June of 2001. He left, interestingly enough, right before the 9-11 attacks, working with Tomahawk missiles as, as, member, as a member of SEAL Team 9. At some point during the 90s, probably during the Clinton administration, Wood claims to have been contacted by the White Hats, as he calls them, whom he also refers to as Oath Keepers, uh, the good guys with top-level security clearance, in his words, also adding they derived from the military but any number of alphabet agencies, and that they're furthermore the patriots whom our government would classify as terrorists. I, for one, will reserve my own judgment on who the good guys are and have, in fact, already given that opinion when commenting upon the checkerboard dualism of Kek, the androgynous deity of Egypt. I think we went over that a couple weeks ago. The wizards of our realm may assign the left and the right hands to light or contrarily to the opposing darkness, but in the end, they are all practitioners of magic. And if I'm not mistaken, Bill Wood was brought in to help manipulate the construct to the advantage of his employers. Let's not overlook that fact. Perhaps I am wrong, and he was really working as a double agent of sorts, intending to find out information about their schemes and frustrate, perhaps even dismantle their operation, though I wouldn't hedge my bets on it. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Woods' involvement with the Looking Glass Stargate was in dealing with what he described as the 2012 problem, so follow along. And here is basically a whole page of his direct quote. The timeline's converge on that point in uh, point in time in 2012. And when you know enough about the Stargate projects and the Looking Glass project to know how string theory works and the possibility of possibilities works and how making one choice over here doesn't necessarily mean that the other choice couldn't exist at the same time. But once you get your brain wrapped around the subject, you find out that the at the end of 2012, and in, e- in an easy way to put it, the choices that we make become less and less consequential to the future. And eventually, we're pushed into this bottleneck of time, no matter which choice we make. And that's important to the people that had access to Looking Glass, because they would use Looking Glass knowing the 
choices that they would make and the future would pop up. And when we started using a, a computer to say, well, if we make this choice, it's 79% possible that this scenario happens and 23% are possible or whatever, or you know, I'm using round numbers, that this scenario would happen. The understanding at the time was that uh, was that was realistic. However, if you go down the road further and, f and free will continues to exercise itself on this game, that 79% possibility sometimes changes very, very fast. But if you look at the situation in a point of time, it seems very realistic that that's the greatest possibility. What happened was people, very smart people, began to figure out that something big was coming. Something so that all the possibilities of all the future scenarios, of any choice, any possibility that was fed in and observed through the looking glass, inherently ended up in the same future and no decision, no possibility change past a certain point. That's the big secret. And so, summing this up, beginning with the ominous date of December 21st, 2012, the elite discovered that all possible outcomes within the free-ranging multiverse of string theory ultimately led to the same end game. Something was coming beyond the horizon which didn't work to their advantage, and there is no escaping it. What is this singularity which Wood hinted at? He couldn't outright say. It's not like he didn't ask his employers about it, though. Rather difficult solving a problem regarding the inevitable contraction of timelines if he's not given the precise details. Everyone who has that information, he quickly adds, are sent into a blind panic, and this is what he says. It's been forecast. It's been predicted. It's been fed to us in a slop, in a slop trough of what they want us to believe will happen. However, they don't have control over what happens. They only have control over the reaction. And it seems that no matter what they try to do to cause their desired reactions, it's going to have an opposite effect. It's an evolution of consciousness that cannot, will not, and no matter what decisions or possibilities are injected into the equation, eventually it all resolves down to us all learning the truth and becoming aware of this massive dam of lies that has been built that keeps that keeps us from knowing massive volumes of information that we should otherwise possess. To the best of his knowledge, and from all the intel that he was capable of gathering, the post-2012 event is what Woods believes to be the awakening process. Mass consciousness. At first, he thought it was the end of the world, which he was, call which was called into, which he was called into frustrate. But now, according to his interviews, he believes it's the end of their world. And think of all that has happened since 2012. In 2001, the blinding arrogance of our controllers, and in fact, their total disdain for the slaves they rule, rule over, was put on full display with the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York City. They went full retard and hoped nobody would notice. Or you might say in biblical terms, pride goeth before the fall. Only afterwards were they let in on the true consequence of their actions. 
the singularity event will be one in which humanity wakes up to their lies. Actually, there are two given scenarios. One synopsis, according to Wood, is one which would which most people would understand to be an ascension or an evolution of consciousness that brings humanity out of the cocoon and turns us into a butterfly. It's a little creepy knowing about the monarch butterflies, but whatever, let's just go with that. It's an age of Aquarius thing and what they're aiming for. The best they can do is continue to lie and lie and lie, as any pathological liar would know to do, and it's what they do very well at, hoping to cover their tracks while ironically waking, uh, I put wakening, ironically wakening everyone up to their deception in the process, thereby making their psychological operations a self-fulfilling prophecy. Timeline 2, however, enlists some kind of major global catastrophe that drives the elite underground in hopes of survival. And we know what this event's going to be. And now you know why they're building the underground tunnels. Our controllers have foreseen what is coming. Either way, the war is already won. They lose. And he says, It will be a new beginning, an end of this reality, the beginning of something that we can't even possibly understand based on the level of our beliefs currently. But when all that information comes flooding out, there's going to be no denying what's true and what's a lie or what's illusion. We won't have the choice to believe that 9-11 happened because of a bunch of terrorists, because we'll know exactly what happened. Basically, what we're experiencing right now is two master chess players sitting at the board. I found this part really interesting. One of them looks down at the board and sees that he's in checkmate in seven moves. And he looks across at his opponent and he knows that his opponent sees it too. So there's no getting out of it. So at this point, the loser can only prolong the game. The game, both players know, uh, both players know the game is over. Yeah, Bill Woods actually went there. He described his story in terms of a celestial chess match between two opposing forces. He doesn't outright say who they are, but he needn't have to. You know and I know, and very soon everyone will know as part of the singularity event. Based on the very rules of the game, the bad guys have already lost, and the good guys have won. Sure, there's moves left on the table, but those moves are being forced by the victorious player. Many would suppose the loser should just give up, but that goes against the very nature of the game. The only way to avoid the inevitable, checkmate, is if the winning player makes a mistake. And so, for the individual bleeding out, there is always hope. Best to keep at it until the all-consuming fire of Elohim rains down, bringing a swift end to their schemes. December 21st, 2012. I don't know if you recall where you were on that particular date. I actually remember uh, driving in the car and, and uh, listening to it on the radio. The Miami, the world came to an end, but it happened to be the winter solstice. That's the very day when the sun sinks to its lowest point on the southern horizon. The sunlit hours are cold and short. It remains there for three days before rising again towards its annual northbound trajectory. Not a coincidence either that C.S. Lewis, I'll say that again, C.S. Lewis, had Aslan die and resurrect again during the winter solstice in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How do I know that? 
I don't. The suggestion is simply given to us for anyone paying attention. Lewis goes out of his way to bring Christmas to Narnia on the very day when the hundred-year spell of winter is broken. The witch protesting, invoking her right to the deep magic at the dawn of creation. Aslan knew of the deeper magic before the dawn of time. I think that was supposed to be one sentence right there, and somehow that became two. In one swift move, he defeated her. Did Lewis take inspiration from Satan's short season in Revelation 20? Again, his death and resurrection coincided with the winter solstice, thereby heralding in a new Camelot age. Is that what happened in 2012? Now, I wanted to write more on this. That's all I have. That's the end of tonight's presentation. But I, I wanted to talk more about singularity because when you get into singularity, when you start looking at it from the occult's perspective, it's very wishful thinking. And one of my favorite um, references to singularity comes from the, the 1980s Jim Henson movie, uh, which was also a George Lucas movie, I believe, uh, The Dark Crystal. And in it, if you remember, there's the, the there's like the, the good guys and the bad guys, and a thousand years have gone by. There's your thousand years again. And because of the shattering of this crystal, it created the, these these this checkerboard dualism of the good guys and the bad guys. And the, the bad guys are, are are like the watchers, they're the evil fallen angels. And if I'll give away the ending, you guys might want to cover yours. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but the ending is is that there's a singularity event in which the the bad guys and the good guys become united again into one creature, and they become a new creature and they ascend back up to heaven. And that is the 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 idea of singularity. That is their goal. That the watchers go. If you recall, the watchers. It said in Enoch that uh, they could no longer look up to the heavens. And they pleaded to Enoch to take up their case as their lawyer, and Yahuwah wouldn't have. He's like, nope, not coming back here again. So they are not able to look up and see the heavens. That's the goal of singularity, even though the watchers are like, yeah, we really screwed up, um, and uh, we sinned royally. Uh, we are hoping that it's going to turn out all right for us in the end, that he's going to take us back, we'll be redeemed. That's the singularity event they're hoping for. It's not what we're going to get, though. I mean, we know what the singularity event is. Uh, no matter how much they manipulate time to their advantages, uh, try to throw us in cycle loops or whatever they're trying to do, um, New Jerusalem is coming down. Or at least I should say the all-consuming fire of Elohim, however you want to slice that cake. Uh, the all-consuming fire of Elohim is coming down, and they're not escaping it. And death itself will be thrown in the lake of fire.